From the Third Coast International Audio Festival and Chicago Public Radio, this is ReSound. Good afternoon. This is Ed Murrow. A new word has been added to our ever-increasing vocabulary. It's a small word, dressed in fear. To pronounce, not very difficult. To envision, staggering. This scientific word may well become the most important in all languages and to all people. It is pronounced... Remix. Rather a simple word to describe so much. Remix. Remix. I keep wondering, if not the actual word, perhaps its meaning has been with us for thousands of years. Staggering. One of the great things about the digitization of audio is the new technology that lets you play with the form in ways that used to be pretty much impossible. You can move sound around with the click of a mouse, copy it, edit it, mix it, remix it, erase it. It's incredibly liberating for those of us who used to spend all day preparing reels for a laborious studio mix that may or may not come out exactly as you wanted. I'm Gwen Maxi. Today on ReSound, producers who've effectively gone to the audio playground and remixed to their heart's desire. We've got voice, music, TV shows, movies, even The Terminator makes an appearance. If it was good enough to hear once, wait till you see what happens when it comes back in a way you never imagined. For starters, let's hear what happened when producer Jonathan Mitchell introduces The Sopranos to the West Wing. Anthony Soprano. On the West Wing. Sopranos have been waiting a long time to take the reins. Mr. President, there's no way this will end good. Well, somehow that doesn't make it any better. Joe, can you assess the command and control situation? We've obviously ordered intense surveillance. Okay, good. So what do we want to do? I don't know. A war? Something like that? Do respect, sir, may I ask why? I have my reasons. For the moment, we're just talking about conventional weapons, right? As long as it gets solved. We can fire tear gas through the windows. Rocks. Guns. The opera. An H-bomb. Got a lot of good ideas here. What about a negotiator? Hey, don't start talking foolish. You know what I think? What? Smallpox virus. That's a very good idea. Thank you, sir. You can do that? Yeah. Well, is this really necessary? What the f*** else am I going to do? Now, hang on a second, Mr. President. What? That is excessively violent. Oh, is that right? Arrogantly violent and is promoting violence and the disrespect to human life. Oh, is that right? Yeah. You got some set of balls, you know that? Now, hang on a second, Mr. President. We seem to have wandered off the point a bit. The ball cutters from out of the truck. Yeah, and time's up. Thank you. Oh, sh. I forgot to take my Prozac this far. So, Jonathan, how long does it take for you to listen to the TV shows or films, decide how you want to remix them, and then actually put them together in a studio? Well, it depends on the piece. The TV shows I worked with, maybe 10 hours of each show. Oh, my God. I mean, the more material you have, the more flexible your options are. But, uh, you know, at a certain point, you get diminishing returns, you know, so you (laughs) kind of want to keep it reasonable. At first, I have no idea what it's going to be or anything, you know. And I just sort of listen to just this kind of succession of clips over and over again. And after a while, you know, like one of them, I'll just think, oh, that's that's a brilliant line. i got to use that. That's, like, perfect for what I want to say with this piece, you know. And so I take that out, and I'll say, okay. And then I have my other collection of dialogue from the other TV show. And I'll say, you know, what would I need to go into it? What would, what would it lead out into? And so it's sort of 
comes together like a crossword puzzle in that way. I have to tell you, I mean, I thought they were just brilliant, and I love them. But I have to ask you, to what end? Why did you even start thinking about this? What are you trying to create? Why spend two weeks? <laughs> um, yeah, that's kind of what I mean. <laughs> um, well, I, I guess I, I really think it's an interesting idea to create a new story out of things that already exist. I, I, I guess the, the, it all started with this notion that, well, what, what if I could use anything that was recorded in a piece? What would I do? You know, what, what kinds of options does that make available to me? If I didn't worry about copyright or any of those other issues at all, and I mean, you, if you walk into a video store, it's like a garden of material. It's just, like, it's it's overwhelming how much useful materials in a video store, you know, for a piece. And so I started thinking, well, you know, what what kinds of stories might I be able to tell that are different than the stories that are actually in the material already? You know, did you think that? Uh, by putting these two completely separate elements and already established pieces together and forming a new piece, did you think that you were going to be making a certain kind of statement? Well, it definitely says something about the role that editing plays in the media we consume, because I think that a lot of that editing isn't very apparent. You know, the, the, the goal of the editor is to make their edits invisible, and and so with this, you can definitely hear it. But for me, the most interesting thing about it was just the idea that people seem to get really uptight about copyright issues, and I think that there are perfectly legitimate uses of copyrighted material for artistic purposes, and that area really excites me creatively. Just what, what would that be, you know? What, what would be a really legitimate use of this material? And, you know, it, it has to say something new. It has to do something that it wasn't doing on its own. And I think there's a lot of, you know, it kind of creates a complex reaction, response in people, because you have this history attached to the material. Let's hear another one of your creations. This one is Terminally Blonde, a remix of The Terminator and Legally Blonde. Listen to me very carefully. What is this? I'm a Terminator. Excuse me, I have some shopping to do. My mission is to protect you. It's so cute. Come with me if you want to live. This is going to be just like senior year, except for funner. Hi, I'm Elle Woods. What's the dog's name? This is Breezer Woods. <laughs> and we're both Gemini vegetarians. I'm a cybernetic organism, living tissue over a metal endoskeleton. Is this low viscosity rayon? Negative. A mimetic polyalloy. Would it have some top stitching on the hem? Of course. We have to get out of the city immediately. And look, I brought sustenance. Excellent. I'm really glad I met you. <laughs> My CPU is a neural net processor, a learning computer. And I'm a huge fan of yours. The more contact I have with humans, the more I learn. I completely agree. I have detailed files on human anatomy. <laughs> Trust me. Here's to us. Get down. Me? What is this? Time to go. No. Now. No, silly. I'm planning this great mixer. You totally have to help me. Negative. I'm thinking like a luau. Negative. Or maybe like casino night. Negative. What, like it's hard? It's not a mission priority. I'm never going to be good enough for you, am I? It has to end here. So you're breaking up with me? Affirmative. I'm seriously in love with you. But it's something I can never do. 
if you're ever in California, okay? Hasta la vista, baby. Terminally Blonde by independent producer Jonathan Mitchell. Today on ReSound, remixes. Veteran producers who used to slave over reels of tape, razor blade in hand, splicing words together, cutting them apart, looking for tiny pieces of tape that had just the right kind of breath to bridge two words together. They were pretty much walking the high wire without a net. Making backups of your material could take hours, but making mistakes on your masters could be disastrous. You sure have a lot to learn about tape editing. Now, hit option C, and it's copied. Hit option E, and your edit is erased, your masterpiece no worse for wear. But as easy as it is now, we wanted to hear the remix that veteran radio man Jay Allison put together the old-fashioned way. Jay is the founder of Transom.org. He's a longtime award-winning producer for public radio and the host of his own show on WCAI in Cape Cod. This piece is comprised of completely unrelated stories he's done over the years. He had all these interview tapes sitting side by side on his shelf, and as Jay describes it, the people on the tape just started talking to one another. The result is called The Neighborhood Freaks. Just a few seconds left. Just a few seconds left. Strange people. People born just a little different than you and I. Are you ready? It started up last night. I'd taken the kids to the carnival and we all got back around nine. Now I wanted to water the lawn before I went to bed, but Artie Davis had borrowed the sprinkler. So I went across the street to get it back from him and I saw the light was on in his garage. Inside were Artie and his wife, June, Sam Lawson, and Reverend James. They were talking about the new people in the neighborhood, and they were pretty worked up. The people in this town just don't want them here. They want them out, and from the word that's around, they'll do about anything to get them out. Everyone was upset. They had been since these people moved in two weeks ago. Sam Lawson said there was no reason we had to put up with this. He said these people are freaks. He called them garbage. They're garbage. They're just garbage, he said. They're just garbage. And there's no reason a garbage like that has got to intimidate decent people because they think they're defenseless. And even Reverend James didn't have a kind word to say about these new people. Ignorant, repulsive, and evil. We just don't want them here. And that's what it's all about. Get them out of here. They don't belong here and we don't want them here. strange people. People born just a little bit different than you and I. People born not as others. Well, this afternoon, things hadn't calmed down too much. The whole neighborhood was on edge about these new people. Artie Davis said they didn't scare him, but they scared his wife. They don't frighten me, but they do her. Artie said his wife June had a dream about these freaks last night, and he wasn't going to stand for it. In June's dream, one of these freaks tried to make June look into his eyes. Get me to look in his eyes, and I wouldn't do it because his eyes were real... But June wouldn't do it because the whites in his eyes were were real real big. big. And they were shiny, like. And they were shiny, like the devils or something. It's real strange, it's unusual, because I'll tell you what, you look into her eyes and you know you can see the devil. Early this evening, the four of us gathered at my place to decide what to do. June stayed home because Artie said she was frightened. All day long, Artie and Sam had patrolled outside the house the freaks moved into, and the freaks never came out. They just stayed inside. 
which was strange in itself. Reverend James arrived around 8 o'clock. He was still upset about the situation. It's disgusting. But he had an idea. I would get me a hundred good men, give them each a baseball bat, and dare one of these freaks to stick his head over the edge of the sidewalk. Well, that didn't sound too bad, but the rest of us couldn't figure out where we could come up with a hundred men. Man, they, listen, I know at least 500 men who would be only too happy to serve, happen to be all Christians in my church that I had in mind. Still, we wondered if 500 men were really necessary. Then make it 25, make it 10 men, make it five so men. So we talked it over and decided that just the four of us could take care of things by ourselves. On our way, we stopped by and told June what we were going to do. I feel like I'm sitting on pins and needles, just waiting. Then we checked to see that we had everything we needed. All we need is some good old-fashioned guts and morals. And so, at 10 o'clock, we marched on over to the freak's house. One at a time on the inside. Got just a few seconds left. Just a few seconds left. Strange people. People born just a little different than you and I. Are you ready? We were ready for anything. We're going to get ready. We're going to get set. All right. All right. Look, 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 look. Look through the doorway. Look through the doorway. From our position in their front yard, we could see them moving around inside their house. We tried everything we could think of. I think they knew we weren't kidding around this time, but they wouldn't come outside. Sam thought maybe we should try setting fire to the place or something, but Reverend James pointed out that that would be destruction of property. So we waited. But by 12 o'clock, it started to get cold, and we were hungry, so we came on home. But tomorrow night, we're going back. June says she'll pack some food for us to take along. Sam's bringing his portable TV set and some blankets. Reverend James is bringing the baseball bats again, and I'm bringing the beer. Jay Allison's The Neighborhood Freaks an imaginary narrative constructed out of unrelated interviews gathered over many years. You're listening to ReSound from the Third Coast Festival on Chicago Public Radio. The mix. You know, the, the, the goal of the editor is to make their edits invisible. Maybe. You'll never know. It's happened to all of us. You're in your car, and song X comes on the radio. In a nanosecond, your brain digs through all its dusty memory files and sends out an alert. This sounds just like song Y. And you wonder, did someone steal Song X from Song Y? Maybe. You'll never know. But what if Song X and Song Y were sung by the same band? Can a band steal from itself? Or are they just being consistent? Producer Sean Cole found one fan who remixed two songs and then put them to the ultimate test. A note here, this piece is really best listened to with headphones to get true left and right separation. You'll see what I mean in a minute. There's a quote on Nickelback's website from lead singer Chad Kroger about the band's most recent album, The Long Road. He says, We've pushed things further in every way possible. Fans of real rock music are in for a surprise. As it turns out, fans are in for a bigger surprise than they may know. This is one of the hits off The Long Road. Okay, now here's another Nickelback hit off another album the band released two years earlier. Never made it as a wise man. I couldn't cut it as a poor man stealing. Tired of living like a blind man. I'm sick of sight without a sense of feeling. And this is how 
Notice anything? Mikey Smith did. He's a 21-year-old college student and musician in Alberta, Canada. I heard them both on the radio, and I kind of noticed. I was like, well, you can hum the melody of the other one over this one, and um, I wonder why that is. So I, I tried to put them together, one on the left speaker, one on the right speaker, and uh, it was actually ridiculous how similar they were. The older song is called How You Remind Me. The newer one's called Someday. And when they started piggybacking around the internet together, they were christened with the not-so-affectionate nickname How You Remind Me of Someday. Mikey Smith says he did tweak the two songs ever so slightly to make them sing. But for all intents and purposes, he says, they are exactly the same song. The only reason he constructed this audio Frankenstein was to prove they were the same song to his friends, especially his girlfriend, who's a big Nickelback fan. Or was. She actually pretty much despises Nickelback now. He also put the remix up on his webpage so friends living far away could hear it too. And that's when the sleeping corpse became a monster. Somehow the link got out pretty much everywhere, and uh, a lot more people heard it than I was expecting, and it's still going, like, it's everywhere. I couldn't stop it if I tried. Everyone's pretty much heard that that spends any decent amount of time on the Internet. Responses on the Internet range from, this guy's a genius, Nickelback sucks, to, Nickelback rules, you suck. Repeated calls to Nickelback's PR people proved fruitless, but bassist Mike Kroger was asked about the controversy in an interview with the Cleveland Free Times. He said, quote, I think that's remarkable for someone to notice that there's a hit quality. If all hits sound the same, then sorry. When you are a band that has a distinct style, such as us or ACDC, that happens. When you have a distinct style, you run the risk of sounding similar, end quote. Mikey Smith's analysis is a little more terse. I think it's almost grounds for fraud. It's ripping people off. Like, some of them may not even realize it because they're like, oh, yeah, that's not the same, blah, blah, blah. I still like it. But they're, they're getting ripped off. I mean, it's the same thing over and over. And they're paying for it. Needless to say, this isn't the first time a band has been publicly accused of copying itself. Fantasy Records sued John Fogarty in the mid-'80s, saying Run Through the Jungle and Old Man Down the Road were the same song. But Fogarty won that case partly on the testimony of expert witness Gerald Eskelin, a forensic musicologist in California. He says the Nickelback songs aren't the same song either. The melodies are different in these two songs. The only thing that's the same is the bass line or the chord structure. You probably remember back in the 60s, well, I don't know if you remember the 60s, but you know the music of the 60s, and how many songs were there that had a bass line that went dum dum ba dum dum ba dum dum ba dum ba dum ba dum dum ba dum dum ba dum dum ba dum ba dum ba dum 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 Dozens at least, hundreds possibly. Escalin says all those songs could be synced up with each other too, but they're still different songs, legally but also musically. If you want an example of an artist copying himself, he says, you have to go back to the 18th century. I think of Handel, who's three-and-a-half-hour Messiah epic, used music he had used before. He just put Messiah-type words to it, note for note. 
Really? Oh, yeah. It didn't didn't bother anybody. Why do you think people didn't care? Because that... it sounded good. Uh-huh. It's that simple. If it's good once, it's good three times, right? Of course, Mikey Smith doesn't buy this logic. To him, all of the songs played on Top 40 radio are just one big song. And he's been on a bit of a tear with his theory. I did um, Nickelback's song, uh, Do This Anymore, which was another hit of theirs. And I did that with How You Remind Me. And um, it just so happens that those line up pretty much exactly, too. You're kidding me. Nope. No joke. The Levine single actually is probably about 90% the same song as How You Remind Me as well. That's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Same, same deal. There's even some of the vocal patterns are the same in that one. To Smith's ears, Levine, Nickelback, and the rest represent an insidious and increasing homogeneity in the North American songbook. But he also knows most people will hear that and think, who cares? Realistically, music isn't that big a deal. To me, it is. I mean, I find different forms of music can be totally emotionally stimulating and make me feel things that normally would be not as easy to feel. And so actually, I'd go as far as to say that I, I feel like I learned things about myself just through listening to music. And to offer an example of the kind of music that teaches him things about himself, Smith sent along a CD. Hear the sound of music drifting in the aisles Elevator Prozac stretching on for miles music That was producer Sean Cole. This piece originally aired on NPR's All Things Considered. You don't necessarily have to be mixing songs together to prove a point. You can just put two songs together because they sound good. Overlaying two unrelated pieces of music has been recently dubbed a mashup, and for the past couple of years, mashups have been all over the internet. In LA, on Indie 103.1, DJ Paul V has a weekly radio show devoted to the phenomenon. This is DJ Paul V. I'm based in Los Angeles. I've been a club DJ for about 23 years now, and I got into mashups probably in 2002 is when I heard my first one and started to spin it in a club. And that track was by a guy named Freelance Hellraiser, and the track was uh, The Strokes versus Christina Aguilera's Genie in a Bottle over Hard to Explain. And that seems to be the, the mashup that kind of a lot of people heard was the first one that they heard before it was really given a term, the mashup. And apparently, by putting a few funny noises together and trimming them up, you can make a tune. A basic mashup is you take the vocal track from one song and you digitally combine it with the music of another song. If you do it right, they sound like they were recorded that way. (laughs) 
the best mashups, in my opinion, are the ones that are the most disparate on some level. For instance, there, this guy, Go Home Productions, probably my favorite masher guy up in London, he has a track called Ray of Gob, which is Madonna's vocal for Ray of Light over Anarchy in the UK by the Sex Pistols. All right, just stop the fucking spitting. I don't like being spat at. Sex Pistols fans would probably never be in the same room with Madonna fans, uh, willingly. And when you listen to this track, it, it is mind-blowing. I mean, you listen to it, and if you didn't know better, you would say, oh, wow, who's this hot female singer singing over this punk rock song? Something that's mentioned by the best masters is something called the smile factor. And that is when this comes on, it's that, oh my God, is this really the Sex Pistols and Madonna's and I'm dancing and I like it? You know, that's great. That sense of like discovery and having, you know, a sense of humor about it. The best music does that, mashup or regular. I mean, that's, that's something that you need out there with, with music. DJ Paul V from Indie 103.1 in LA talking about mashups. You're listening to Resound. Tell us how you feel about what you hear. Contact us with questions and comments at Resound at thirdcoastfestival.org. Or if you want to listen to any one of dozens of documentaries from around the world, come to our website at thirdcoastfestival.org. So please don't leave until after they finish and we play the record. Right now it's my great, great pleasure to introduce the artists and producers and helpers who made this possible. sound effects 
I do sounds in my throat. I use no props, no tape recorders, phonographs, tricks, or gimmicks of any kind. This is a standard stock Sure Brothers mic. Maybe. You'll never know. You're listening to ReSound, the remix show. They mix. These are all basically created on the various software programs that you can do on your computer. Stripped of its fearful garb, its offering now is positive, not negative. Our next story is a remix of a different kind. Adam Goddard, a composer in Toronto whose passion is music, interviews his 90-year-old grandfather whose passion is farming. Then he combines his grandfather's words with his own music, and the result is a little like rap. You have to hear it for yourself. Change in Farming by Adam Goddard and Steve Wadhams. My grandfather's name is Henry Robert Tyndale Haas. Hey there, Papa. How are you doing? He lives in a farmhouse near Grimsby, Ontario. I'll tell you what, I brought some... Well, come on in here. Okay, just a second. Oh, that's awful. I don't like taking my boots off when I go to a place. It's the house where he was born. I'll light some lights, see if it's kind of dark in here. Dark all over today. He's 89 years old. My eyes are bad this morning. That was pretty blurry. Is it? I tried to read the paper with a magnifying glass. It don't work. The pet damn print on that paper's yeah. rotten. Yeah. I thought you were going to play a tape that you made. Yeah, I am. Where is that? It's right here. It's in the. Uh, so I just put it. I br- just brought the machine with me. And it, I had it on a CD. I'm Adam Goddard. I'm 25 years old. I'm a composer and a musician. My studio is in Toronto. I'm also using a piano expansion. Has a beautiful, beautiful classical piano sound. French horns. And, you know, here's examples of uh, digital watches. And that is a recording of a toaster that's stuck. Using unconventional sounds is, 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 a, is an interesting way of putting your, your thumbprint on a piece of music. But the most important thumbprint here is, is having part of my heritage ingrained in music. I'm talking about my grandfather. He's never been to my studio, but his, his voice is here. I've taped a lot of, of stories that he's told, uh, a lot of memories about his past, and, and uh, I've got hours and hours of, of just storytelling, basically. I'd like to talk about... I'd like to talk about the change in farming. All right. The change in farming, like... When it went from the binder mm-hmm. to the combine to the balers to the silo fillers, all that big change. I'd like to talk about the change. I'd like to talk about the change. So you can hear he's got a very rhythmic, rhythmic voice. The change. Um, the pitch that he talks. He has a lot of, lot of um, variation in the tone and pitch. 
And I find that he, he, he speaks somewhere between the key of B-flat and C-sharp, which I think is kind of interesting. So <laughs> I've done one piece in C-sharp where he's talking about his father, but when he's talking about the change in form, he tends to talk in the key of B-flat. Then they come out with machines that cut the corn in the field and blew it into a wagon. He's a, uh, I, I swear he's... Machine? That's an F and a B-flat. It's right in the key of B-flat, so it's perfect. You know, you just hear, machine, right? Machine. Do-do. Okay. There's only, there was only two guys. One guy drawing the corn, the other guy operating the machine in the field. Where before there was a, maybe 12 guys working. That's supposed to be improvement, eh? But then I said, you know, I, I asked him, do you think, do you think that, that that is improvement? He says, oh, yes, you know, because... Uh, as as far as it, as far as uh, a workload goes, we can produce more. And and his attitude is okay. Less people would be working on that farm, but that doesn't mean they're un that'll be less employment. That means there'll be more uh, more produce made, and it'll bring down the cost of food. Another thing that I'd like to bring up is they come up with uh, they started what they call in, in artificial insemination. And they for, they formed a brood a brooder a breeders organization, see, where they kept different bulls like uh, uh, Holsteins and Ayrshires and Jerseys and so on, and they'd collect the semen from those bulls, and then they would. We, they had uh, in, guys what they call inseminators, and they would go around and breed your cows. We did away with all the bulls. Yeah. Okay. That's supposed to be improvement. It certainly was. Artificial insemination. So I've, I had a drum beat that I was using, that I was planning on using later on. Going boom, cap, boom, boom, cap. Um... I'm not sure if that's going to work work or not. That's worth a shot. The average cow will say is given 40 pounds of milk. See? They brought these bulls in and over the period of few years they've raised the production of that cow up to 70 pounds. We did away with all the bulls. I think the most important thing to me is that uh, that uh, he understands why I'm why I'm doing it. Um, he's a foundation. He's a figurehead in the family. <laughs> he's um, he always gets the chair in the middle of the room, you know, and uh, rightfully so. I think so. I mean, I'd I'd, I'd love to be like him when I'm his age. Well, I'd like to be like him right now. The change, the change in farming. Yeah. Okay. This piece is called The Change in Farming. And what I did was I recorded you talking about a couple changes in farming. Well, that was when the, that chap was here with the picture. This oh, is, no, it's quite different from that. No, this is from another recording. Oh, I never had any other recording, did I? Yeah, I came up 
quite a while back. Oh. This is a long time ago. Oh. And you were talking about the changes in farming. You're talking about how the changes with combining. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And the changes with uh, yeah. uh, you know um, artificial insemination and how how oh, yeah. now cows can produce a lot more milk. And uh, I took the you know you have a very musical voice. I don't know whether what? You, I don't know whether you realize this, but your voice is musical. <laughs> I can't like, sing worth the shit. We'll, we'll <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. I'd like to talk about the change. I'd like to talk about the change. I'd like to talk about the change. The change in front of the oats and all of the oats and the bananas. When I went from the binder to the combine you remember that piece of machine to the balers to the silo fillers oh yes all that big change certainly was all that big change that's supposed to be improvement it certainly was artificial insemination the improvement we, they had uh, in, guys what they call inseminators and they would go around and breed your cows we did away with all the bulls. A change. A change. In front. Sometimes they didn't use a team. Sometimes they used a little tractor. A change. A change. In front. I often wonder sometimes how I ever did that. I do the work. Change in farm in the barn. See? Well, I remember. I remember, I remember, when I bought my first combine, corn in the field, it seemed funny. There'd be two of us working, well, well, taking the place of 15. Well, well, I remember, well, well, I remember getting into arguments over Production has kept the price in the store where it is. I'll tell you how you're going to reap the benefit where it is. The store. The change. The change. Sometimes they didn't use a king. Sometimes they used a little tractor. The change. The change. I often wonder sometimes how I ever did that. Now we run out of tape. <laughs> eh? Right. So anyways, that's it. Now I don't understand this. Yeah? Repeating myself all over. Yeah. Why? Why Why do I do that? I don't. Uh, that's a musical thing. Is it? Repetition. Oh. Yeah. I wanted to pick up some of the character in your voice. Hmm. Talking about something I didn't know I had. Well, you do. As long as you know what you're doing, that's the main thing. That's right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just a, a guinea pig. <laughs> right? Right, right. But anyway, 
We can go out to the barn now, eh? I'm Adam Goddard with my grandfather, Henry Haas, in Grimsby, Ontario. Change in Farming was produced by Adam Goddard and Steve Wadhams for Outfront on the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. I'm Gwen Maxi, and this is ReSound from the Third Coast Festival. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm only on for three minutes. Well, I haven't had time to do a drama or anything like that, but I have become very interested in electronics. And apparently, by putting a few funny noises together and trimming them up, you can make a tune. I'll just give you some examples what I mean. Number one, coming up. samples of electronic noises. Now then, by getting a pair of scissors and uh, snipping a piece off here and pulling a piece out there and then putting them all together, you can get a tune something like this. What I mean, cheerio, my time. Can we talk some more? I don't know. You don't either. One of our favorite bands on ReSound is The Books, Paul DeJong and Nick Zamudo. And if you're into rich sound from a lot of different sources, thrift store records, found tapes, TV shows, then this is the band for you. On their first U.S. tour, they stopped by our studios to talk to our colleague, Julie Shapiro. What brought the books together in the first place was their love of strange recordings. That's how we met, yes, listening over uh, Shubi Taylor. The yeah. human horn. I'm Shubi Taylor, the human horn. I went to school for music. I took music, the saxophone, all that, like that. No, uh, start that again. I think it's like a beginning of a Bach fugue, very weird, but also very beautiful. And man was just so completely convinced of himself. Oh, he's in the middle of putting things together and organizing himself. I'm Nick from the books. I'm Paul from the books. We happen to live in the same apartment building down in New York City. We met back in 1999. Paul had me over for dinner and uh, made 
this wonderful spaghetti dinner for us. I, I have no recollection of the food. I do. It was good. I was impressed by it. And I was also impressed by the fact that you had a wall of mini discs, and I'd never seen that many mini discs in one place. And I'm like, what, what is, is that? that? You do not need to stand on one foot. I don't suppose it And Paul pulled it down, and uh, we started listening through it, and it was love at first uh, noise. <laughs> you are something that the whole world is doing. Well, I think the next day, I uh, I was invited at Nick's place, and uh, you know, there he uh, launched the counterattack that uh, still rings in my ears. <laughs> I was I was more into the field recording approach to collecting sounds. I got a DAT recorder uh, when I was in college, and that was sort of my first experience working with sound. Just had a stereo microphone and would go around and record everything. <laughs> And somehow those two approaches to collecting sound uh, kind of fuels the way we work with sound. A mixed consort of soft instruments. So we're always being asked a lot about spoken word that we use and that we find and how we put things together. But I think another thing that, that Nick and I shared from the beginning is our, just our love for playing instruments and, and you know, finding sounds and pure sounds on, on the instruments we've, we've played for a long time. The way we think about sound is, is it has a, a valence to it. It has the ability to resonate with other sounds around it, either in an intellectual way or a purely musical way. And so over time, by working with the sounds, we gain an, an understanding of how they can connect to each other. The more distinct qualities a sound has, the harder it is com to combine with another one. But once you find, the, once it clicks, once those two pieces of the puzzle fit together, it just creates something that's greater than the sum of its parts and becomes very powerful. It makes me immediately think of the sample of the Muslim calling out uh, the, for prayer and the Japanese potato street vendor in uh, the track to Lemon of Pink, the first track on uh, the second record. You know, they have literally nothing to do with each other and are worlds apart, and somehow musically they fit perfectly together. Kind of from the first days we we found a way to improvise together uh, and record those improvisations and you know so we can use a lot of the material in in our compositions we always try to leave a lot of space in our improvisations because you know the space is kind of the most useful thing we can create within the framework of a musical composition we sort of make <laughs> swiss cheese as much as we can and then we figure out how to fill in the space later on in, in a way that's also improvisational. We just try everything, we see what works, we throw out everything that doesn't work, and over time, the pieces evolve. Well, let's talk more about the process. Let's go through a song, and, and maybe you could tell us how it came together, and at what points, you know, even if you remember what you both were thinking about at the same time, because I'd be curious to know how you get over disagreements, mm -hmm. etc. how the collaboration comes together. Well, we'll play uh, Be Good to Them Always. Okay. Uh, for you. Yeah, I guess we'll just listen through the track. We'll listen through it so we know what we're talking about and uh, 
then we can single out things. Here we are. Here we are. We are anticipating. There it is. There it is. That's the picture. You, you see it for yourself. There it is. It's a man. There it is. With Oh, how sadly we want to 
the song Be Good to Them Always by the books and Nick and Paul are here today with us talking about what they do. So deconstruct that song, break it down for us. Sort of the essential repeating part of this song, I mean it's basically a waltz. So the it's divided up into groups of three beats and then there's seven repeats of that motif in each measure. simple kind of repeating chord pattern here. There's sort of these rests at the end of each that have a little more space in them, a little bit more of a, a longer decay. And so we knew that we had this space that we wanted to fill, so we did a, a search through our library for samples that would kind of <laughs> fill that space. So we just did a search through the library just based on the length of the samples or the size of the sample in this case, which was maybe four seconds or something like that. We came up with, you know, about a hundred different possibilities. And we started walking through them and we found uh, a theme was starting to emerge. So we kind of made a, a collection of samples that could work together and then we just figured out which order to put them in. Sometimes the order is determined by the story it tells the actual the literary meaning of sample but sometimes it's just because it musically works well it flows well and so then it might bend the story in the direction that that we hadn't thought of uh, before so. so yeah i'll play a few of them just as we found them and maybe we can explain where they came from because they all came from entirely completely different places i've lost my house You've lost your house. Now that is from an English chorus record, just a language record. It's a little role playing in uh, which a man uh, uh, lost his house. <laughs> I don't suppose it matters which way we go. And that's uh, from the movie Walkabout. That movie is about a, a young boy and his sister get uh, lost in the bush in Australia. All they see is like desert out in front of them and they have no direction which way to walk. I think it's interesting that um, I've talked to other people too, like I find myself memorizing the samples like I would memorize the chorus or verse of a song, so, and pulling them into my life, like there's the one where I'm... Um, How are you doing today? How are you doing today? I'm not doing so well and it's so beautiful and I actually had to say that to someone then I had to explain where it came from and it turned out he was a big books fan so you know it was, he was like yeah yeah I know that one but it, it, it's the same way where you think songs really speak to your heart or describe your life that you can find it makes a case for the universality of, of these little gems that you find in a lot. And it seems to be a very contemporary phenomenon since you know media just saturates our lives so much uh, the way people latch onto things is kind of very much this soundbite kind of aesthetic. And, uh, you know, it's easy to hate that kind of thing because it destroys kind of the larger structures of things that really contain meaning. But on the other hand, it, it, for your emotional life, it's a very direct way to connect with the world around you. This great society is going smash. And that's W.H. Alden. The modern town hardly knows silence. 
I'm not 100% sure. You are something that the whole world is doing. That's no. one of our favorites. Yeah, uh, we always return to him. He's got such a wonderful voice, and uh, that's Alan Watts. This is not real life. Mm-hmm. This is, for us, uh, Elliot Trike television. Uh, that's the, the great Glenn Gould. He's just got this, this really high tension, almost yeah, very neurotic voice, but on the other hand, his mind works so fast. Yeah, just and much, much faster than you would think was possible. I could hear a collective rumbling in America. <laughs> there is so much going out there in, in the world, in, in media, that people only hear once. And there is n- nothing wrong with that. It's just that if you hear the same thing twice or three times, it takes on you know, a stronger meaning. Uh, not necessarily a different meaning, but you actually... you start hearing more about like the character of those who say it and you you find more you find out more about subtlety not that you don't hear that the first time but it makes you think in different ways about it you know i simply cannot understand people remix that was third coast managing director julie shapiro talking to the books paul de jong and nick Zamudo. much sound for much happiness not for destruction but as a signal for joy. Much sound for much happiness. Not for destruction, but as a signal for joy. ReSound is a production of Chicago Public Radio and the Third Coast International Audio Festival. I'm Gwen Maxai. The program is produced by Delaney Hall and curated by Johanna Zorn and Julie Shapiro of the Third Coast Festival. Our production intern is Katie Mingle, and our festival intern is Ben Winter. You can hear today's program at thirdcoastfestival.org, where you can also hear dozens of outstanding documentaries from all around the world and subscribe to our podcast. Lead support for the Third Coast Festival is provided by the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, with additional funding from the National Endowment for the Arts, American Airlines, and Chicago's Navy Pier. Music for ReSound is provided by Reckless Records in Chicago. If you want to contact us, we would love to hear from you. Email us at resound at thirdcoastfestival.org. ReSound returns next week with more radio that you can't hear anywhere else unless you live everywhere else.